0: from 6 on 2FM. Thanks for the you, Johnny. It's Monday the 20th of February and this is Game On. Coming up today, Austin O'Malley reflects on a weekend of drama in the Allianz League. The
1: seven minutes are up. We're into the 78th minute of this contest. Cork need a goal. If they do, they'll win it. A point is no good. Here's Hurley breaking forward. Hurley shot. Oh, he's hit the post. Unbelievable. And there goes the final whistle. Oh, my and God. And Dublin have won it. Just, that was an absolutely ferocious attempt by Hurley there. Oh my God, what a on, what a finish. In soccer, we'll get the latest on who Manchester United will be sold to and Liverpool say they're not for sale. Plus, Alan Cawley on the League of Ireland and Stephen Kelly on goals from Irish players in the Premier League.
2: The quick Good chase here for Coleman, who gets to it. Oh, he scores! Incredible strike from Seamus Coleman!
0: Well, in big games, you need big players. And Seamus Coleman has delivered there. In rugby, we squad news as Ireland get ready for Rome we'll discuss our weekend sporting highlights as Israel Alatunde breaks another Irish record.
3: Israel Alatunde settling into his blocks in lane 5 for this 60 metres national championship. The excitement building here because this is a full stadium. People sitting on the steps. I'm sure the health and safety might have a word to say about that. But it is so laden with tension and anticipation because in the semi-final, Israel Alatunde ran 6.64 seconds, two one-hundredths of a second outside Paul Hessian's Irish record. And it's Israel Alatunde off the flying and now he powers through and it's all about the clock. Easy victory for all and he stops the clock at 6.58 seconds. It's not just a new Irish record. It's a totally world-class time because 6.60 is the barrier of world-class and he has shattered that barrier. 6.58, two 100s is, believe it or not, at such a short distance like 60 metres. A huge margin and it's a wonderful scene because Israel has just run 200 metres from the finishing line to where he is right now in front of the stands. Rolling over on the track, the crowd have stood all to their feet to accept what is a world-class performance by Israel Olatunde and a rubber stamping of the class that we saw last summer 6.58 seconds a truly astonishing new Irish record breaking the 16-year-old record belonging to the great Paul Hessian who set that 6.62 seconds back in 2007 Israel Olatunde, not just the national champion and retaining his national championship but doing it in a world-class time of 6.58 seconds and a startling stunning beautiful golden New Irish record.
1: It most certainly is that. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM.
0: 2FM. Welcome along, everyone. We have a packed house. We have Ruby, as we always do and on a Monday. Austin O'Malley is with me in the studio, and Alan Colley is as well. Um, it just shows what a big weekend of sport it has been. Um, let's get into our sporting highlights. So I'm sure there were plenty. Um, Alan, I'm going to start with you. Um, you've been up and down the country, around the world, actually, in the last week or so. So I'm curious as to what your sporting highlight from the weekend has been.
4: Yeah, am I allowed to go back as far as last Tuesday? No, okay. weekend sports Sorry, nice. sorry, sorry. All right, I've moved well, nice on Nice try, from that. nice try. I've moved on, but I still have two or three anyway, Marie. We've um, been here for a while. But the one, the one that stood out for me over the weekend, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, and it was mentioned in the intro there, was Seamus Coleman scoring mm-hmm. a brilliant goal on Saturday. Now, I don't think he meant it at all. Lots of people have suggested that he has, but he's been such a brilliant servant, not only to Everton, but just for Irish football in general. And when you think where he started on a weekend... That's coincided him scoring the goal. That's coincided with such fantastic positivity around the League of Ireland as well in terms of attendances, Marie. And obviously, I was down in Cork at the game on Friday night, six and a half thousand out games in Dublin. Here, the game in Sligo for, on Saturday against Shamrock Rovers was sold out as well. So when you think of Seamus and for the years that he soldiered with Everton, uh, fantastic individual, fantastic person. Um, in a game that they needed to score, needed to win, he's the man that stepped up as well. So I'm going to go for Seamus Coleman's goal on Saturday.
1: What was last Tuesday, Al?
4: (laughs) I haven't talked about it all, have I? I? (laughs) Come on. The San Siro, Ruby. The San Siro, probably the best venue I've ever been to for a football match um, against Spurs last week. It was absolutely incredible it really was a memory that like, it lived with me forever the intro, uh, right at the start of the match the atmosphere the display the fans put on when they came out the game wasn't great now but in terms so then of then how
1: was it a sporting highlight if the game wasn't great
4: The, the experience You're talking
1: about a personal experience that was not the question Marie Croash.
4: <laughs> and I'm going to try in as well while I'm on a roll here I'm going to try in Shishkin on Saturday as well Ruby so just to keep you happy yeah. He
1: was a sporting highlight yeah. I, can agree, I can agree with you there like, but your own personal experience <laughs> this is RT radio Alan. come on Well I haven't spoken have to you since
4: last week I I've missed you, so I, I have to mention it, yeah. But uh, Shishkin as well, I'll throw in.
0: Ruby, what was yours?
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I thought Shishkin was was spectacular. I thought it was a great training performance from Nicky Henderson, and I loved the ride as well from Nico de Bonville. I you mean, know, a horse that has been campaigned at two miles for so much of his career, all of his career really, he stepped up five furlongs in distance, and Nico rode just rode like he was guaranteed to say. He keeps things so simple, Nico de Bonville, and as anybody in sport knows, doing. The simple things right is often the hardest thing and Nico de Bonneville just does the simple things so right most of the time and gets no credit for
0: it. see
5: I think for me, look, there was a lot of Different moments, I think, across the it's weekend. It's not uh, obvious uh, for him. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's not just like it's sticking out like a sore <laughs> thumb.
5: No. Well, I'm actually going to surprise you, probably, because my my highlight of the weekend, I think, was actually the performance by the Mayo ladies beating Meath ladies down in Navan on Saturday, in what you could only class as a an atmospheric venue, Park Talteen. I suppose made you know made more atmospheric by a contentious and decision at the end, which created a lot of drama. But um, it was just one of those moments. It's a while since I've been down a Park Talteen. Just the inner. And the atmosphere uh, there on the evening, so I would have to say that one. I know there was a number mm-hmm. of others across the National Football League and so on, but that just stood out in terms of an experience as well. I
1: must say, the refereeing decision in Kildare versus Clare was also <laughs> <laughs> yeah, them, I I double, was a highlight for the
0: weekend. The double hop with the solo in the middle, I just thought that was
1: it. You know, not move, often Kildare get one up on Clare, is it?
0: was a nice one was right. no, yours Marie mine was Israel on a Sunday and we heard the commentary there from Greg which was brilliant by the way because the race was over so quick mm. and for him to be able to actually hold everyone's attention for it was nearly a minute and a half there the, the race was over in, in just uh, 6.57 seconds mm. Israel's record but it was uh, it was just brilliant listening to it live and yeah. hearing the emotion and, and um, even in Greg's voice and it just like the future is so bright now for Irish athletics and um, with so many great stars it just feels like there's a regeneration there um, and it's happening Happening right in front of our eyes and sometimes when things happen like that you don't actually appreciate them but there's brilliant things happening in athletics and Israel is leading the way and before we just move on I have another bit of a sporting highlight um, at this week this uh, better
1: be sporting though. come on we've had enough <laughs> and in these personal <laughs> Blurry
0: here. Uh, it's a little bit personal but I do have um, three rugby players staying in my house this week Ruby Alfie Riley and Donny they're 11 10 and 11 and they've came over from Cardiff and oh. we talk about sport and you know how it makes us feel and how brilliant it is but for little kids to have those authentic experiences, to go to a house, to stay with the family, to l- see the lives that they're living, to even just, they didn't, they came into the house and no one took out their phones. It's only a small wow. thing, but like nobody has to be connected to the Wi Fi. They've been there for four or five hours, they're out playing, they're chatting, they're talking, they're talking about geography, languages. Um, the little fellas ask them do they know Gareth Bale you know all this little seeing these little things happening and it's all just the connection that sport is is bringing them together and it's just really nice to kind of see it in its purest form
1: that's amazing, but you're looking for a job on Radio 1 now, aren't you? <laughs> oh, us.
0: Well, considering how much you slag me, I'm trying to get away from you. I'm doing my very, very best, Ruby. And do you know what? Actually, they're probably listening in the car now because they're going off for a drive, and the funniest thing is they'll have no idea who you are, Ruby, because you're so old. Oh <laughs> no,
1: yeah.
4: There's only two ways close in Wales as well, Marie. That's his drawback too. Yeah
0: so that's it that's my uh, brilliant what are you
4: cooking for them Marie I, I hope mean, you're looking after them chicken,
0: well now ch- chicken and pasta <laughs>
5: there's definitely going to be a curry chips in there yeah, in some at some stage, stage at some, some stage the, it'll yeah, weave its way into I need the, to get a lot, of, lot of food so I have
0: six lads in the house now till Thursday and you. be absolutely you'll
1: have to them a the Max, Marie at some stage as well like.
0: yeah give them all the, uh, the authentic <laughs> Irish actually I think they might be going out to watch the Shamrock Grovers Academy uh, our co- training as well one of the days we we'll would go out to see Timmy are they here
4: for a game no will they get a game in they're two
0: games they're playing themselves on Tuesday against St Mary's and Wednesday Day against her and yours. so the whole families and everything rolled. great crack at, wow, yeah, yeah, two busloads of wow. them arrived today to get on a few trips. They'll like all end, end up back fancy. at your house now. That's,
4: <laughs> that's what's going to happen, there, Marie. Yeah,
1: yeah. parties and Marie's go. Oh, that's the
0: way I like to have it. Um, okay, so it was a busy weekend. We did get uh, we did get through a good few of the events there, but so much more happened, and we may as well get straight into it. And a little bit of news uh, breaking this evening about Liverpool. So Liverpool owner John Henry has confirmed. That he will not be selling the club. Um, reports, of course, for the last few months that they were like Manchester United, that they were going to be up for sale, and there was a lot of uh, speculation that there was, you know, the usual countries now uh, in the mix for for them. But it seems it's not the case. And Fergal Brennan, uh, journalist on Marysi's side, joins us now with the latest. Fergal, so are uh, is is it the case now that Liverpool are not for sale?
2: In terms of lock, stock, and barrel, yeah, I would say they're not for sale. Um, Tom Verner has been quite open about this idea that FSG are looking at new investment opportunities, both for themselves in terms of their sporting portfolio and potential investors into into Liverpool Football Club. I think the comments that he made at the back end of last year around this idea of them exploring a sale or exploring sales of shares maybe was a bit misleading or or maybe kind of was taken out of context. I think that was always the position that they were in. They're happy to bring on new investors, even large-scale investors that would look to buy a fairly sizable chunk of the club. But the big difference between themselves and the Glazer family at Manchester United is the Glazers want out of Manchester United. Exactly what that will consist of in the weeks and months that come and and potentially even maybe even a little bit longer down the line. Liverpool were never really in that position. I don't think FSG were fully convinced by selling um, based on what they think they can make from the club in the years to come and also the return on investment that they would receive based on their original purchase. So as it stands, they are looking for new investors that could amount to probably between 10 and 15% of the club. But in terms of a wholesale sale, no.
0: Right, well,
1: wholesale, sorry, t- just so I was on a further. Wholesale, sale, no. But if Qatar do step in to buy Manchester United, that means you have Manchester City, Newcastle, Man United, all state-owned. What? How do Liverpool keep up with that sort of investment? Look, even look at what Todd Bowie's doing in Chelsea. Lo- Chelsea, loads of money
2: going in, but the results aren't coming. Exactly and that would change the position of both Liverpool and of FSG in terms of would they sell. I think you still need to be in a position whereby the current ownership for whatever reason wants out to allow state ownership to come in and that's the case at, as you say, Man United, Newcastle previously and Manchester City going a good few years back. I do agree and Jurgen Klopp has said this himself that effectively whilst thousands millions of fans won't like it in order to compete at that level financially on the pitch off the pitch state ownership is becoming an increasingly more likely model to base themselves off i think certainly in the short to medium term this is what fsg want to do and um, i think they feel that maybe not to the extent in terms of spending hundreds of millions of pounds on players they can compete and um, but they can still make liverpool a competitive viable option, both floated on the stock market and as a Premier League, Champions League team. I don't think in two, three, four years' time it will still be exactly as it is. But certainly until the end of this season, probably until next season, there isn't going to be a change.
0: What about Manchester United, as uh, Ruby mentioned there, and the Qatari interest in that? Has there been any developments? We know that the uh, Jim Radcliffe has uh, been quite open about his interest in buying it. But does he really stand much of a chance?
2: I think this ultimately depends on the direction that the club wants to move in and, and Manchester United have, have effectively got a choice here in terms of which road they want to go down. Jim Radcliffe is a Manchester United fan. He's expressed, expressed interest on at least two occasions previously of looking to buy a controlling stake in the club, both before and after the Glazers came in and took over at Old Trafford. State ownership under the Cantaris would be a completely different perspective on Manchester United and, and this is a very interesting position because previously when state ownership has been involved particularly in relation to nation states that do have controversial records in terms of human rights and, and various other issues that the UN and, and other bodies would bring up this is a this is an option between two whereas Manchester City, Newcastle, um, Paris Saint-Germain didn't have that in the past. Man United now have a decision to make. I do think in terms of money in the bank and the amount of money that will be made available to, to Eric Ten Hag and et cetera, would obviously be far greater under Qatari ownership. That's not to say Jim, Jim Radcliffe wouldn't pump millions into Manchester United, of course he would, but they've got a decision to make because in terms of purchasing power they're both in a position to pay what the Glazers are asking it's up to Manchester United to decide further down the line mm. which greater financial muscle they want do they want the Qatari ownership or do they want Jim Radcliffe
1: As regards getting out of debt though Fergal if Radcliffe comes in at what is it somewhere between 5 and 6 billion to buy yep. it then plus the debt has Jim Radcliffe the loot to get United out of debt before they go buying players
2: no, that's what I mean, in terms of the two measuring, if we're to measure the two bank balances that the two prospective buyers would bring, Jim Radcliffe is is definitely in second place in that sense. He would be in a position to make the original purchase and he would be in a position to, if not pay off all the debt, at least a sizable chunk of it, and then look to build from there on out. Um, whereas in terms of the Qatari ownership, it would be almost a, a blank check situation where they would be able to come in, buy the club, tick off the debts, ensure that the Glazers were removed, potentially look at developing Old Trafford and then looking at developing the squad. I don't think Jim Radcliffe would you know, pay all of these things and then suddenly have no money. I don't think it would be a Glazer situation in that sense. But he does come up short in terms of the cold, hard financial injection that the Qataris would be able to give. And that's, again, to go back to what I said, I think that's ultimately the choice that Manchester United will have. They won't be in a situation, as they are with the Glazers, that if they go for Jim Radcliffe, that in 12 months' time he suddenly runs out of money. It's just that financially he doesn't have the same uh, power as the Qataris and crucially he doesn't have the same ability to continue generating uh, income as they do.
0: Virgil Brennan, as always, thank you so much for that update. We are now going to return to matters on the pitch. It was a really interesting weekend of Premier League action, I thought. And Arsenal got it going on Saturday, Alan, when mm. they almost capitulated but came back from the brink and got that win against Aston Villa. But it was touch and go there for a while. And I just thought watching it, like, that's it, they're, they're done
4: yeah absolutely Marie and it was almost like a case of we're thinking this is the ultimate collapse because when you think of the last three games obviously the, the poor run of form that they were on with one point out of nine I didn't envisage that at all like we've been here I, the last two or three weeks I've been saying to you I think they're favourites to go on and win it then all of a sudden as I say in the space of three games there's been such a collapse and um, and whatever about the, the first game against Everton because Everton were really good, but the game against Brentford where I thought they'd get back on track, that was a major disappointment. And then to go out against City and lose that match. So you're thinking all of a sudden City are in pole position here and they're going to need a serious reaction. Then they're losing to Villa 1-0, 2-1 and you're thinking, where's this reaction coming from? But to be fair to them, they were very good in the second half and they showed that reaction and that spirit. The goal was fortunate enough when it came, but they were knocking on the door for, for the majority of that second half. And even though Jorginho, as I say, was the flu, Goal, they still deserve to win, and um, it does get them back on track, mm-hmm. Marie. And you think of then Man City slipping up against Forest, which you couldn't have imagined would happen either. Um it does puts puts them in pole position again, Arsenal. And when you look at it, at the start of the season, despite that little blip that they've just had, if you were to ask Arteta they'd be in a position with maybe sixteen games to go, and he'd be sitting on top or level with City, he would have snapped your hand off for that. So it's all about like getting that win, as I say, the confidence will be back in the team and restored, regrouping and just looking at it now playing out the last. 16 games of the season still with a brilliant brilliant chance of winning the league but
1: Alan you'd have to love the fire in their belly when Zinchenko scored like he just turned and headed for the halfway line 2-all we're here to win
4: yeah and that's the attitude of winners as you well know Ruby like there's no point in them going to Villa they had to win he knew that a point was no good to them Uh, and at that stage he stepped up I was speaking about Seamus Coleman in terms of leaders as well people that you want to step up in moments like that and he's been brilliant Sinchenko since the start of the season uh, since he's come in and he has that winning mentality in terms of what he's been through at Man City as well and he has that resilience about him in terms of what he's been through uh, the last year with his country and all sorts so uh, it was brilliant to see that he got a great goal and then they're thinking we have to go on and win pick up the three points now I felt they probably would have scored a lot earlier than what they did they left it late and it was fortunate enough but Jorginho brilliant strike unlucky from Martinez point of view that it hits hits his back back of his head and goes in but uh, they did deserve it Arsenal. and I'm glad to see as well because I think they've been brilliant all season Ruby as I say I was surprised by the little blip over the last couple of weeks I didn't see that coming at all because all the questions previously to that in terms of their mentality and everybody accusing them of being weak in previous seasons they had shown a real steeliness about themselves and I thought they'd overcome all those questions so I was surprised by that little blip but hopefully as I say the, the victory at the weekend gets them back on course and we could have a really exciting title race in terms of M Man City and I'm even throwing Man United into uh, the mix. Alan Ooh. careful now uh, we'll
0: <laughs> get to Man United in a minute Stephen Kelly is with us on the line Stephen I just want to move on to Chelsea because we're talking about Arsenal there and the character Mm. that they showed and you know they were true to their principles and they were just impressive when they got going but they do seem like such a together group and there are a lot of leaders Mm. there and you look at Chelsea and the players that they have how do they become a team that is together and that shows leadership
6: Uh, it usually starts by picking up results together and I know that's going to be down to the manager finding the shape finding his best side Um, but the amount of money they spent um, on players and a lot of them are overpriced we all thought that doesn't mean they're not very highly talented players they really are um, and they should be able to do a lot more than what they're doing. And, you know, t- to lose to Southampton and the manager talking afterwards about, you know, unsettled and having to change the team from a game. Into, uh, it, it You know, Southampton are, are not a side that Chelsea should be freeing or should, they should be able to compete, in, especially at home. They, they have to be a team that's in with the ascendancy with the quality that they have in their pitch. And, you know, the, the, I know the, the board have said they're going to stick with Potter. And it's just... It's hard to see how it continues on in this vein without there being a change. And as much as you don't want to see a manager get sacked, but for Chelsea and what they have done over the last twenty years as a club and how high their standards have been set, I, I think this this is quite low for them. So yeah, I I, I think I'm gonna find it very hard for for them not to see a change, I think, soon if, if things don't happen. But with the players they have that he needs to be getting more opportunity out of them.
1: But well, Stephen, like, how many chances can you miss in the one game? I mean, Chelsea, like, if they were there for oh. four days, they weren't going to score. They were shooting so bad.
6: Yeah, yeah. And the, the thing is, it's something that was addressed, isn't it? Like when we when we've been on here speaking about Chelsea, and we thought that when Lukaku came in a season, uh, two seasons ago, we thought that's the missing piece of the puzzle. They have everything else they needed. A central striker. They've brought in wingers and attacking players to beat the band, but but no one that I think is is that pivotal goal scorer. Young was back involved. He's another player that they brought in to try and get goals well. I, it's 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 one of those moments and you know will it come it should do because those players are so good they're so talented they've got such so class but I think at the moment it's just it's not happening for them and it, it's whether it's part, is he the issue is he the problem or is, is he going to be He wasn't standing situation. in front
1: of goal at the weekend though in all fairness to him No,
6: enough, the <laughs> no I, know, I know I know he wasn't but I think you have to <laughs> I think at times the manager has to take, I know we can't explain what happens on the pitch all the time players miss chances but I think for them to be in a position where they lose to Southampton at home there's something not right there isn't there
0: Austin you work in uh, the performance side of the game and you're looking at a team like that with all the biggest uh, stars in it and locking that fluidity and cohesion how does a team like that gel I know back in Allen's day you'd probably go out for a couple of nights and and, you know Mm -hmm. you'd have your bonding but nowadays that of thing
5: doesn't really happen yeah i, I suppose it depends the re, the remit of, of what the manager does and allows in in terms of i suppose around their their culture and he's obviously coming in he's coming in and he's a, a huge background in that area himself in terms of I know he's like you know around the whole idea of you know emotional intelligence and that potter it's something he prides himself on, so being able to read players and develop players should be a big part of that again, but I think in terms of where chelsea are at the moment there's definitely like from even me looking in like in terms of just being cohesive. Uh, as 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 a group they don't they look disjointed they look um short on confidence and like the key the key things there up front again not firing or don't look like that they're they're going to score a lot of goals but i think from his own perspective in terms of of building a squad there's, there's a, that's a bit of a journey it doesn't happen overnight um but there's a lot of work to be done around i suppose culture and developing new leaders and all of those things and it depends what um he wants, or you know, what, what route he wants to go uh, with that.
4: There was a video actually online, I'm not sure if you've seen it, and it's pretty damning of the players as they emerged onto the pitch before the match. And as you said, Austin, in terms of disjointed, mm. lifeless, soulless, no enthusiasm for the game. Together. I was desperate, honestly, it was really bad. And you can criticise Graham Potter all you want, and people will argue, well, it's his job to motivate them. But these just looked like, as I say, there was no life, no soul in them whatsoever, overpaid prima donnas. And we often hear that in terms of uh, because of the money and I'd never accuse players of that but, but if, you're, if your character has been questioned in terms of having no enthusiasm for the game and then you go out and put in a performance against Southampton they have to take responsibility to players everybody will point the finger at the manager but at some point you have to point the finger at the players as well and I've stuck up for Graham Potter all the time on this show but looking at it it's very hard to defend him in a defeat against Southampton but when I saw that video uh, emerge on social media in terms of those players as well he's too good of a person to be dealing with individuals like that as well and I'd wonder if you were to sit down with Graham Potter in private is he question? how did I manage to get myself into this situation where his stock was so high with Brighton he had done such brilliant work to, to earn this opportunity mm-hmm. and it's all unravelling in front of him right now because of maybe some bad, bad eggs or bad apples maybe
0: yeah.
1: Stephen, the contracts though at Chelsea with American ownership are slightly different to the ones at City, which are state owned. They are all on bonuses and extras, playing goal score times on the pitch, etc., etc. So, like, can't just say they're getting overpaid because they actually, on those contracts, have to play some bit to earn their money.
6: Yeah, plus they get a testimonial because they are all signed for 10 years as well, <laughs> yeah. which is ridiculous. But no, um, no, no, it is. Um, like I said it's, it's very hard looking at it and I think the why not what I liken it to but when we used to talk about United here and we used to talk about the players taking responsibility and this jointedness and how those players are not performing and what are they doing for any manager and now look what they're doing under Ted Hag. and you would say the, the the huge change in that side is the manager coming in and setting a stance that he wants for and his the ones he choked out Stephen respons- Exactly, exactly. So Potter's come in. He has to obviously get rid of the bad eggs, bring in the new eggs. They've they've gone and bought ridiculous amount of players in the in the window, and I don't know whether that was his dealings, whether it was the club's dealings. They just wanted to go on and buy the biggest name players out there that were interested. In whether whether or not they're going to fit into the style of play that Potter had. But what it comes down to is, as a manager, as a top level manager to be in the elite, which Chelsea need to be, you have to be able to deal with egos, and you either cuddle them or you lambast them. it's one or the other basically at that level and he needs to know what those players respond to and find out quickly otherwise he's going to be the one that loses his job regardless of how 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 long you try and give him he has to understand what those players need to motivate them and I I know you can't keep going back to the manager but that's where it stops and I think that's where you look at Ten Hag and the praise we're going to put on him because of what he's done at that club power has to kind of get the same stance and response from those players
1: So if we're going to lambaste Chelsea for losing to Southampton Alan what about City drawing with Forrest because if Chelsea miss chances
4: City miss more I'm glad you brought that up Ruby because I was going to pull you up <laughs> on the fact that did you see the City chances compared to Chelsea I did it no, getting all, there.
1: don't worry it, we're working our way through it, <laughs> it was, Newcastle was, next
4: <laughs> it was actually in the incredible uh, the amount of chances and it was so one sided the game which like we've seen many times with Man City but that always killed the team off by getting the second or the third but just the fact that it was always 1-0 it keeps Forrest in the game and that could be a set piece it could be anything really and the, the one breakaway that they got obviously they scored from but Guardiola will be absolutely fuming because you look at Haaland's chance you look at Foden the one he messed up when he's one on one with the keeper Haaland beside him Laporte's header as well from the six yard box Kaylor Nevis is standing on the line Gundigan's free kick a brilliant save by the, the goalkeeper but that game should have been out of sight dead and buried and typical of what we've seen at times with Man City as well when they don't put teams to bed they're always vulnerable at the back uh, to a breakaway or a counter attack and fair play to the Forest they hung in the match and um, Chris Wood then got his goal near the end but it's a massive two points drop for City just when you think as well that it's looking ominous for the others after them picking up two or three big wins then they falter again um, to Nottingham Forest
0: Stephen is it a case that players who are paid quite a lot and are going week in week out and sometimes during the week as well just find it difficult to get motivated for a game like Nottingham Forest because it just looks so casual
6: it did look casual um, and for City I, I just think it's strange that we just haven't seen that a consistent clinical list from that we've been so used to. And that, that's what's strange for me. And I think, you know, seeing Arsenal coming back the way they did and they fought, and, you know, second half is such an improvement in the performance to get on and win it um, and to put themselves back in the fray and back on top. I, I I feel that it's Arsenal will only win the league if City keeps slipping up. It's not going to, I think Arsenal will get performances, but I think City could go on and win it. What if? But at the moment, they're just, they have a, such highs and then they get in front, they have moments like this where they're not going to score. and it, It's, it, it baffles me that they don't. And I think I was re- reading quotes from uh, Cole Walker after the game and he was saying they were a 1-0 lead. They should have won a 5 or 6. He says, but then the responsibility is going to fall on the defenders because if our, if our, if our guys are misfiring up front, then it's on to us to keep that lead and keep a clean sheet. And they didn't. And that's where Cole is just talking about. They're saying they do look vulnerable, whereas City of past would have looked like you weren't going to even get a chance. They just smother you. you. Have so much possession, you won't get a chance. Whereas now, against a side like Forest, they they give one up and they concede a late goal, and you know it kills them. But it, it's so hard to put your finger on what's exactly not firing there. But you know, I thought against Arsenal, they they rode the luck, but they were brilliant how they came through. And again, then they drop points and put themselves in in a, in a tough position to go and
1: chase the title down again. Alan, I'll go back to Zinchenko when Arsenal scored the equaliser the urgency, the want he wheeled you on here two weeks ago salivating about Grealish you were overwatching him playing in Man City Where's the, where was the urgency in City this week? Yeah, well, they're he, the ones that are three points behind or whatever it is like
4: yeah and you were speaking there about Chelsea saying Potter wasn't standing in front of the pitch that the players have to score the goals that's like obviously not Guardiola's fault if they don't take the mm. chances I think the urgency was there from them but they just didn't take the chances like yeah. any other week that'd be 3 or 4 nil, and the game would be dead and buried but for whatever reason and maybe it's just indicative of the indifferent form that they're showing throughout the course of the season that they're not putting teams to bed and that's why I suppose it's making exciting for us it's keeping Arsenal top it's dragging Man United into to the race but if they had their shooting boots on Ruby as you well know they'd mm. be out of sight by now and I'd agree with Stephen they are still capable of going and winning their next 10 on a row and blowing everybody out of the water but it's just been such a crazy season from their point of view that it's making it exciting for us Haaland missing chances even though when we think he's a robot and a machine missing sitters Laporte the same um, Foden and, and sometimes the manager you just can't legislate for that like you know if a fella's mm. six yards out and he doesn't score like Guardiola it's, not, it's nothing to do with him in that instance he's putting them out there tactically set up well set up they're creating the chances but then if a fella doesn't take it and then I suppose the the danger with that always and it's been Man City's Achilles heel at times with teams when they don't put them to bed is they're always vulnerable to a counter attack because the mm. way to play with so many players to push forward one ball up over the top like we've seen with something similar Arsenal are very similar in what they play and if you go back to Aston Villa's first goal with Ollie Watkins that initial first pass from when the ball is turned over if you can play that pass correctly over the press of so many players you're in a 1v1 situation or a 2v2 at the best of times because the two full backs are always pushed on and to be fair to Villa in that situation they exploited it two scored Ollie Watkins and that was something similar with Forrest with their breakaway the, for the first time in the match they had three or four players push forward and they took their chance but um, it just it makes it exciting for all of us Ruby but definitely City are still the best team by a mile in, ter- in my view and compares to all the others.
0: Stephen, let's talk about Haaland uh, for a while. Now, <laughs> I know we can't judge him too much on how often he touches the ball because he usually does something with them. But he touched it 17 times and he gave away possession five times in those, out of those 17 times he touched it. He also won just one of his six duels and played only eight accurate, accurate passes throughout the course of the game. I'm not sure if you saw uh, Thierry Henry during the week, just been uh, critical of him really. Yeah. And he's all around playing. Mm. Yeah, it was quite good. Yeah. And just compared oh, yeah. him to to Kane, Kane and what he does uh, without yeah. the ball. I just wonder now, just that we're getting a bit more information on Haaland. What are we thinking of him? Can we be critical of him?
6: I think you can be critical of him if if that's what you want from him. And I think, uh, what what do you want from Haaland? Was he brought there to be the link man and bring players into the game? Uh, I think from the moment we saw him I don't think he was ever going to be a Harry Kane type player Harry Kane is such a clever footballer you look at the goal he set up for Human Son he's passing both feet bringing people into the game leading the line Haaland is just a bona fide goal scorer and I don't think he's there for anything other than that whether City wanted that type of player or whether they needed that type of player. They did want someone to score goals, but was it just an out-and-out player or someone that can link into their reveal? I think, obviously, they went for Kane first a couple of seasons ago, and I think Kane would have been the ideal fit for the way City play because he links the play beautifully, he gets in the box, he scores goals, he creates chances, he does everything for them. Haaland is very different. He's an absolute success. No matter what way you look at, the goals he has scored and the amount he has scored is is frightening for us for in the Premier League can Pep develop into more of a team player and bringing people into the game and his touch and his presence and showing for the ball yeah I think he can but do you take does that take the attributes of his running in behind if he's constantly on the front foot if he's constantly trying to get that goal scoring position possibly um, I, I don't think he's the type of player that's ever going to be the link man I think he's always going to be a forward in behind scoring goals. And I, I think you have to take him for what
4: he is. It's a really good question, Marie, and it's a good debate because I listen to the Henri stuff as well. Mm. And in Haaland's defense, and Henri was really kind of, uh, for the first time I've ever heard Thierry Henri mm. insightful yeah. with analysis, <laughs> agree, he was, yeah. he, he was yeah. really good. But on that one, to be fair to Haaland in his defense, He's only 22 Harry Kane is 29 yeah, and exactly. he's matured into that player to be fair as well with years of experience under his belt Haaland at this moment in time is just an out and out goal machine as we all know technically he's not great either if you look at him he's weak on his right foot obviously his left foot is stronger but in terms of holding the ball up and linking the play and bringing as Stephen said he's never going to be that player right now I think with work, he can become that player. But to be comparing the two right now at this moment in time in terms of the type of player that they are, Kane has years on him and experience and brilliance as well, to be fair. But he's built that up over a period of time.
1: And Haaland is scoring 1.6 goals per game to Harry Kane's 0.7 goals per game. (laughs) Moving on to Eric Hag, He wasn't overly happy with United in the first half, Stephen against Leicester, and he let rip afterwards.
6: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he wasn't happy with them. Um, but you know what? They, they've gone and got results. And that man, Rashford, is <laughs> in form of his life. Absolutely sensational stuff from great goals again. Really took it well. And Ten, I think this is the thing about Ten Hag. You know, the fact that he's, you know, I think as a manager, to call the players out on the back of a win is easier than it is in the back of a loss because sometimes you want to protect them. But, you know, he's. It's, it's, it's what it's showing is he wants to demand a level of excellence from them. He wants to demand a level of performance week in, week out, which the elite managers do. And you often see Pep and Klopp be critical of their teams when they win. Because like I said, I think it's easier as a manager to go out and say it that way, to, to portray it that way. Whereas you sometimes you want to defend them in, a, in, in the poor result or a poor game. But he's, he's shown that he has a level of expectancy from his player and a demand that he's putting on them and... I think the players are responding to that, which is again like the opposite we're saying to part at the moment. But it's taking his time for the players to get that level where they have a full trust in him, and I don't think any of the criticism he put at them, they will they will take in a bad way. I think it'll all be taken on and brought forward for
4: next match because I think that's the
6: level of confidence the players have in him as a manager now as well.
0: Liverpool, Al, are they back? Are they back? Have they turned the corner? Oh
4: well you asked me this last week and I said you couldn't base them being back off the back of a victory against a poor very very poor Everton team but I did say if they follow it up with a win against Newcastle and maybe another one after that then we can suggest that they're back and to be fair to them they were very very good now in saying that they were good going forward Newcastle Mm -hmm. should have scored even with 10 men they still looked very vulnerable at the back Uh, and only for the goalkeeper there would have been one or two down something like uh, De Gea yesterday pulled off two great saves early in the game Alisson was the same for Liverpool he was brilliant but the fact that Nunes scored through his confidence, the world of good, Cody Gakpo as well, getting another one. Uh, that's back to back games he scored. So yeah, Murray, uh, slowly but surely, I think they are turning the corner Um so that's two out of two let's see three out of three and then they'll be mer- nearly <laughs> around the corner fully how many, how many games left <laughs> is, yeah. I, well they've, what they've done and oh. they've put themselves back into yeah. the top four picture definitely
0: okay well sure look that's uh, you can take that Stephen thank you so much for joining us cheers uh, we're going to chat a little bit more about football we're going to turn our attention to League of Ireland a great weekend for the league overall mm. Alan and um you know, even though it's probably frustrating for League of Ireland fans to hear people saying, no, Oh, isn't it great there's loads of people going to the games? But it is great that there's loads of people going to the games. Yeah, of
4: course it is, yeah. Uh, because sometimes we're quite hard on ourselves in the League of Ireland fraternity in terms of always wanting more. And if someone criticises the league, we're quick to jump on uh, down their throat or whatever. But I do think uh, you have to accentuate the positives of time, Marie and the fact that the games were sold out all over the country, not just in one or two places. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I remember to having a chat with Ruby years ago. He might not remember this, we were down in the Aviva, and I was making the point about wanting more crowds for League of Ireland matches, and Ruby countered that, asking me "Like maybe if you're getting 1,500, 2,000 that's a good turnout if compares to racing that is so popular that might not get that uh, at certain race courses, so the fact that we've moved that on now, and here we are getting four and 5,000 at grounds um, I think it's absolutely fantastic, and in terms of season ticket sales across the board as well, Marie, that's all, they're all up all the clubs it's not just Shamrock Rovers maybe or Derry teams that are winning it's across the board Finn Harps were relegated and I think their season tickets uh, have been at an all-time high as well in the first division uh, Sligo Rovers the same so across the board it's been absolutely brilliant and it's important to maintain this and build on mm-hmm. and I think we will as well to be fair Marie, uh, because the appetite is there for people it's a strange thing to say but what's holding teams back now is because we don't have the facilities to cater for people that want go to go to more games mm-hmm. but that's a good complaint and hopefully we can work on that now in terms of improving the facilities across the board for places as well and that we can increase those crowds even further
0: Ruby do you want to respond to Alan
1: you said that but like anything well, people always want what they can't have. The bigger you make the grounds, the more people you let in, the easier it is to go. I, I will be keeping it. I'm not advising nice. the League of Ireland anything, but <laughs> keep it limited. Keep well, people wanting the, uh, it. Hold well, on a, on a, a d- minute d- now. You're, yeah. you're in some
4: place now to be giving League of Ireland advice <laughs> so, uh, no, after all the stick think, you have for a
1: long time. Think, you, when you think about it, though, when you make grounds big and they get empty, it's hard to create atmosphere. Well, you know, so I, I see I, that no, a lot of race Ruby's courses.
0: right, though, in terms of wanting it, because like, the season ticket thing, if I didn't get season tickets for my lads and they couldn't go to the matches with their friends in the stand... They would be raging with me. So like, Mom, you have to get the season tickets. they're gonna be sold out, they're gonna be sold out. And I was like, I have to yeah. get the season tickets or <laughs> they're I, going to the go. mad. Factor.
4: But I think it's I think he's wrong in the point of wanting to improve things. And I'll tell you why, when Shamrock Rovers had the three stands, Marie, as you well know, and people were saying for the, the they're building the fourth one at the moment, mm-hmm. when they had the two and the building was going on for the one behind the goals, people were saying, Sure, why are you building that? to be no one to go into it. That's sold out now. Yeah. And now they're yeah. building a the fourth. So the more you improve on things and the more you actually, as Ruby said, give them what they want. I think they will actually come Bohemians are in a position at the moment where their, tic- their season tickets have sold out in what they have like that's incredible oh. they'd, sold, they'd sell another 1,000 or 2,000 Had they, if the ground are being held back by the redevelopment of the stadium at the moment they've had to put a temporary terrace in on the other side of the ground just to cater for the demand at the moment mm. whereas if they had their stadium up to scratch which hopefully they'll have two, three, four years with a redevelopment they could have a lot more going to the game so it's all good it's all positive but the key thing is want to improve 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 more don't settle for this don't be resting on their laurels I hope they're not up in the FEI at the moment thinking oh this is great we've cracked it there's a million other things still to be done and work still to be done and let's keep improving on it Builders and they will come now, Austin. <laughs> Who's
1: that? Who are you quoting, Austin?
4: <laughs> it's Alan Colley. Alan Colley. Yes.
5: No, no, that's a famous quote. <laughs> that's a famous Who quote. That's of an old movie. Build it, and they will come. Yeah. So they they, come they, yeah. The
4: hockey. Yeah. The, the. It was the, uh, the, American, the baseball. Yeah, the baseball fella. Yeah. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Feel the dreams. Yeah. Field of
1: dreams. You're yeah. on it.
5: There you go.
4: You can come to my field of dreams
1: anytime, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ruby. When I take over Irish football, which is Al? Which is
0: exactly
4: the showgrounds. The showgrounds. Yeah. I know. Man
1: or is it Man City, or is
4: it <laughs> changes, he's not sure where changes. he's
5: He's really.
0: very <laughs> I yeah. mean, we do need a title race, so we we want yeah. a really good season. We want to be competitive, and um, already after one weekend. I mean, you had Shamrock Rovers drawn with Sligo Rovers, Pats and Derry City a draw as well. Shelburne draw a, a draw. So, like, just so many interesting results as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Marie. Uh, it was a great weekend in that side of it as well because you're hundred percent right. For the last two or three years, and we've lauded Shamrock Rovers, and rightly so. But they're winning leagues at a canter, and you can't have that. You want teams to be challenging them, pushing them, dragging all the others with them. Derry, to be fair, have stepped up, and they were very good last year, and I think they'll be stronger this year. St Pats as well. I think they'll be strong under Tim Clancy. Um, Sliger Rovers probably surprised a few people with the results Saturday night but by all accounts it was fully deserved and the signings that they've made again have been um, there was question marks about a lot of them but I think the recruitment has been a positive as well from what I'm hearing from a lot of people so you just want to maintain it Marie it's the first night of the season you don't want to get carried away um, teams will obviously have ups and downs but certainly in terms of a tight race I think we will have it a lot more competitive this year
1: and What about the crowd in Shelley, Alan for Kerry FC versus Cove Ramblers yeah, I did read about that
4: Brilliant. The only problem there was the fact that David Clifford was in the stand and not on the pitch. But once we get him involved in the League of Ireland, we will take over then. Ruby. <laughs> but it was it was brilliant to see that as well. And that's another thing that the need. And where to do put... you want Gary Ringrose? Who is he going to play for? I'd say he'd be good centre forward, Ringrose. He could do a job for Sligo Ringrose. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think uh, in terms of the geographical spread as well, because it's still a bit Dublin dominated. So in terms of the geographical spread, it's brilliant to see Curry involved in the league and. And, uh, I, 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 it was supposed to be a great event yeah, down there. I, I only seen the highlights and stuff. There. Yeah, and it was absolutely brilliant. Big win for Cove as well. But certainly in terms of the spread that you want around the country, it's only a plus that they're involved.
0: Okay, lads, we well, to take... How many take teams it, do you have
4: from Dublin in that league, Alan? Alan's league. Yeah, it's five, is it? It's a fi- UCD, Pat, Shelburne, Bose. uh,
0: Shamrock Grover. There's five. Um, half,
4: is it? Yeah, nearly yeah. half, yeah. yeah draw are on the doorstep. Oh yeah, really so I love you and love yeah. for that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lads, I think uh, we better take a quick break. We've gained football to come uh, with Austin after this.
1: Game on on two FM
0: welcome back uh, Alan Colley and Austin O'Malley are still with me in studio Ruby is along as well we're turning our attention now to Gaelic football Austin O'Malley we have to start with uh, Mayo and their win over Kerry
5: yeah look super result um, I think it kind of maybe blindsided a lot of us down at Mayo we didn't maybe think that we would have done it in the fashion we did we, we done it but um, it was yeah just from the get go they looked like they were on it they were physically superior um, their execution up front their movement even in terms of their fin- their defensive setup as well was really really good but um, I think going away from it afterwards I was thinking like Mayo you know done a lot of things that were different um, from what we'd seen before in terms of the, the way they were transitioning the ball through the boot a little bit more uh, and just added a little bit more variety to their game but it, on the flip side of that I thought Kerry done an awful lot of uncarried type things Mm. they look leggy they look ponderous they look disjointed at times and again their execution up front which they would normally pride themselves on was was poor so you just don't know where Kerry are like at the moment they could have they're obviously behind where everybody else is in a conditioning perspective so they could have had a very very heavy week so you just don't know Mm. sometimes in uh, in National League where teams are what they're at
0: Yeah, and we've seen defending all-Ireland champions and hurling approach the league in a very different way than um, Kerry did last year. Just on the conditioning, because there is a lot being made now of the shape that Mayo are in and it's really early in the season, but it's a different season now. Um, But it is hard to peak when championship comes around. Do you think that they're going to be able to sustain where they're at? I
5: I think they will because they've obviously added to their backroom team in terms of their certain conditioning, uh, coaches and so on. So they're well resourced there. And I think by by virtue of that they should have sort of freshened up that whole approach last year they were like over the last 12 months or la- like last year they, they picked up quite a lot of injuries so I think it was something that they looked at when they came in and they added um, more coaches within that sort of expertise yeah, expertise within, within that area so I think they will and there's a freshness about them um, and I think there were the one thing that I noticed last night obviously they were moving the, the, the ball through the boot a little bit more so they were managing their energy a little bit better mm. as well and I thought they finished quite fresh and you probably had a couple of notable performances the likes of Jordan Flynn and a couple of other young guys stepping up there so it did it looked good and it looked a little bit different so there's definitely green shoots appearing in terms of maybe Kevin McStay what he's trying to implement and, and bring
1: through but Austin, that's the key to it. When you have players fit, it's just keeping them fresh, keeping the freshness.
5: Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Like, and that is the challenge. Obviously, from a management perspective, to have guys right when, when when you need them. And um, this time of year, I suppose most of the you think the heavy the heavy stuff is done. So it's about I suppose using the games even as 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 you know conditioning blocks and so on. But um, every team is so well resourced in that capacity now that there's so much sports science gone into it, and it's you know there's so much you know measuring and monitoring of players around metrics and so on from health and well-being to sleep. Their, their sleep to everything. So it's just about getting all that data and keeping them in that
1: sweet spot as as you move through the season. Well, whatever you think you might be doing right in Mayo, Roscommon Common are certainly doing a lot right, and they're the only team to have won all three games in Division One. Yeah, look, they've had an
5: incredible start, like, and there's, it's real kind of systematic. Or there's definitely like Davy Burke has a methodology there at the moment whereby he's just unloading his bench at the right time. I did wa- watching that game yes yesterday. At, at one point, I looked in, and I thought, and I thought of Martin McHugh. Um, and his influence on it they looked like an old Donegal at one stage in terms of with the way they were set up defensively and they were transitioning the ball out they were coming out in threes and fours keeping really great width and they all look so comfortable on the ball so I say he's had a, a big imprint on that as well but Davey has he's, he's absolutely flying at the moment and they're, they're three from three and I looked at a stat there before in their last 18 Division 1 league games <clears throat> Prior to this year, they had only two wins. So they've already surpassed that in Mm -hmm. terms of sitting um, top of the league.
0: You mentioned uh, something quite interesting there and that's Davey Birkin loading his bench at the right time. There's an article on the RTE website about the role that the finishers are now starting to play in Gaelic games so in the 16 games played across Saturday and Sunday, 6.57 was posted by those coming off the bench and some of those were really important scores. Are we seeing a bit of a trend now towards finishers like we see in rugby?
5: I think so. I think I, I really do think so. When you look across that evening, the, what Kildare got off their bench in their game, they had 5-6 scores, the Dublin the same, um, even in Division 2 and so on. So I, I really do think it's something that managers are looking at and when you see the likes of a Jack, Jack McCaffrey come in or a Daniel Flynn come in, guys that have got serious pace in Jets and they're lining themselves up against a guy that maybe has 45 minutes of you know, uh, National League football under him, heavy pitch and so on, it just makes sense to, to... And there's a piece of this as well I'm always saying around managing the energy quotient of, the, of a game, you know, that if you can... Uh, Bring two or three guys in full of energy. It's almost like you've a, you've a greater reserve to the opposition if they don't unload a bench as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, it's, big part so of it. You
0: see, warming up on the sideline as well. Like
5: absolutely, it. absolutely. So I, I think the whole concept of finishers now, um, and it probably makes it an easier sell for
1: managers as well. Boston, <laughs> probably, a, probably a ridiculous question, but doesn't matter where you put those players on the pitch then as well. Do you and know if you're bringing yeah. on fresh energy, you want it down the middle of the pitch surely to
5: become involved in it? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think a lot of them will come in. There a lot of them will be transitional players. That are moving the ball, but like we've even just seen like what Jack McCaffrey done for that last score that was so important yeah. to Dublin you know he just James he, yeah James McCarthy as well these guys that they're going straight at the hearts of these defences and you've tired defenders and all they have to do is leave a hand in or they get stepped and go by so it's it's a major major plus and if you look back at Dublin I suppose previously what they done when they won all their All-Irelands like that bench and the bench strength was so important when you've guys like McManaman and O'Gara and these guys coming in mm-hmm. that were just physically imposing and they just blew guys out out of the water when they got in
0: One of the uh, results of the weekend for me was Monaghan beating Donegal 120-15 to points we used to have Vinnie Corey on here doing the analysis for us and he was brilliant but you could tell that his heart was always in the coaching and I felt for him in the early rounds of the league because going into Division 1 with a team that's in transition you're Key man isn't there trying to eke out those wins in a county that's football mad under pressure I was delighted to see Monaghan get off the mark
5: No it was a super win and like they it was you know they went in at the break I think it was it was level and they came out and they kicked 114 in that second half win desisted but again they unloaded their be- their bench in terms of Conor McManus mm-hmm. coming in Darren Hughes back in the fold again uh, Jack McCarran back from an, in- an injury as well hamstring injury kicking seven so like that was a huge result for them. I know they took a bit of a probably a pasting against mm-hmm. Kerry down in in in, in Kerry and, not, you know, in the interview afterwards, Vinny said like, "There's no way we're pu- pushing the panic button." But I'd say he slept a little bit easier yeah, last yeah, night yeah. than he did two weeks ago. So <laughs> um, yeah, they, that, like and look, they're 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 a, they're a long-serving Division One team, yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to stay there again.
1: But what about Donegal? I mean, they did a number on Kerry. The opening game, Tyrone hammered them. Then Monaghan beat them. Mm-hmm
5: yeah that's an interesting one like I, I, I still think maybe that first result might have papered over a lot yeah. of the cracks in Donegal given Peter
0: Canavan was only said the same that it's probably where where we are now is probably the reality
5: yeah yeah and I, I just think looking at them yesterday like they were so porous uh, in terms of the their tackling and so on and uh, what they conceded 114 like you just you, you know it's Patrick not Patrick McBearty. McBearty yeah that's that's really compounded in terms of a hamstring injury it's surgery so that looks like it's going to be long term but I think there's other factors there as well even this you know there's a lot of different signals coming out of you know the Donegal sort of camp mm-hmm. or the surroundings you know even their academy with Carol Lacey leaving and you the know coaches, the support yeah, the support spa, uh, staff leaving as well so all of those things can take energy from you know the collective uh, in, in, in terms of Donegal so I think they they need to have a little bit of a rethink at the minute around all that stuff
0: Galway as well they needed a win uh, it came against Tyrone always a, a tough game but Parik Joyce was fairly happy afterwards
5: he was yeah I think like obviously you know they probably give give up a point against Mayo in terms of Mayo caught them uh, and again then uh, last week uh, Ross Common catching them going down the home straight, so it was a bit of a tour de force, I suppose, in the second half for them. You know, they are, they they came out against the brief again, unloaded his bench. He had Cahill Sweeney came in and you know got three vital scores. And I think you know the standout player for th- there on that day was Matthew Tierney, like he was in awesome form, kicking some great scores, winning kickouts, put himself really about. And the introduction of Rob Purnarty as well back from injury, mm-hmm. so like all we to get that without the the terrible twins of of Comer and Shane Shane Walsh, um, will do them the world of good. And obviously. They've Peter Cook back in this year again as well, and he's given them a bit of emphasis around the middle. So, um, Park Choice, you know, he, he he referenced afterwards that it was a real workman like performance and that they dug in and they found something there in the second half. So, he'd be very happy with that.
0: Okay, Austin, thank you so much for coming in. Alan, as well, uh, great to see you, as it always is, both of you, and great to see you, Ruby, as well. Myself and Ruby aren't here tomorrow, but Shane Dawson is, and we're back together on a Thursday um, for a change, but Shane will be on tomorrow. It's a big Champions League night. He'll be uh, previewing Real Madrid and uh, Liverpool at Anfield. Betty de is up next. RTE 2FM